It's your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Almost said Friday. Wish it was Friday. Feels like it should be Friday. It's been a week already, has it not? Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't agree. Maybe some people are having a uh, a, a a breezier week. Um, this one feels like it's kind of pushing through a little bit, but uh, always enjoy doing the podcast because it's fun. This is work, but it's fun and a good show today. As always, Chris Hine joins me here in a little bit. Timberwolves beat writer for the Star Tribune. We'll get into some Wolves stuff. Big game for them Friday in Los Angeles against the Lakers. Lakers just won the other night, had a pretty successful road trip. One without LeBron, one without D'Angelo Russell. Um, And every game matters right now in this uh, Western Conference playoff race. And that one will be a big one in terms of just everything involved with that. So, Big one, Chris and I talk about that, talk about Carlton Towns and the timetable for his return, the frustration there that a lot of us are feeling in terms of transparency from the team, things like that. So good conversation with Chris. Hope you enjoy that. We'll get to some Gopher women's basketball uh, stuff at the end of the show. They lost in the first game of the Big Ten tournament, that tournament here at Target Center. Bad loss to Penn State, and um, people starting to wonder how long the Lindsey Whalen tenure should last here. Chip Scogg is writing about that. So we'll get to that here at the end of the show. A wild thought at the end of the show, too. First, though, what did I miss? Um, I was going to get to this yesterday, but kind of ran out of space. A lot of things going on yesterday. And yes, I get that this show can be as long as it wants to be, but I, I tend to keep it in the 30 to 40 minute range. And I didn't want to waste this topic and uh, and and uh, and not to be able to do it justice. So, Quasi do Fomensa. Uh, Vikings general manager spoke at the NFL scouting combine a couple days ago. It was Tuesday, and you know asked a lot of the same questions that we've asked him in you know in in previous sessions. But got asked about the quarterback position. And, you know he didn't get asked specifically about Kirk Cousins, but got, he got asked about how he evaluates the quarterback position relative to kind of some of the numbers that you deal with in the NFL in terms of salary cap things like that. I thought his answer was interesting because he basically he he went into math mode, which is which is Quasi's background, of course, and it's it's a way to answer a question in a lot of the same ways that we answer questions about Kirk Cousins. But I want to play the audio of Quasi responding to a question about quarterbacks here right now. Let's go. Let's go all the way numbers. Let's go full numbers. So we talk about necessary and sufficient conditions, right, in math, and so a necessary condition is having. A starter level quarterback, a quarterback of above certain threshold. Now that doesn't mean for sure you're going to win. That's not the only thing you need, but that is one of the things you need, right? So having a good level quarterback is a necessary condition. Kirk quarterback meets that threshold, so we know that. Okay, well now, how do you build the rest of the team around him to make sure that you can win in that way? Different quarterbacks require different things around him, but we know that for sure he meets that threshold. How long does he meet that threshold? Those are things we got to answer. Is there a chance to add somebody maybe with? different skill sets. Those are all questions we got to answer, so there's not one right way, but I do know one thing. I know he is good enough. He meets that first threshold, and that's that's a that's a question that a lot of people can't answer with a yes, so we got to make sure that we treat that in the in the proper importance that it is. Now, what I enjoyed about that was it's, you know, it's it's a it's a very, you know, complex to a certain degree, a very fancy way of talking about Kirk Cousins in a lot of the same ways that we can plainly talk about Kirk Cousins, right? Like Quasi, to to my, basically, to, to my uh, understanding of it, or my reading of it, is basically he's saying, we have a quarterback, Kirk Cousins, who is, he meets a certain threshold. He's good enough 
to win at a certain level with certain things around him. But there's other external factors you got to take into consideration that, you know, what's the team we can build around him and, and things of that nature. How long is he going to be that good? Because Kirk Cousins is going to be 35 in August. And once you get to be 35, it's not like old, old, especially in just like human age years. I mean, he's, he's you know a, a decade younger than I am and, and then some. Um, so he's got, you know, he's not old, old. But for football, you do start to wonder at a certain age when a quarterback might drop off. Now, players are playing longer than ever, things like that. The best of the best can play very long. So not so worried about that. But it, it is a consideration if you're thinking about an extension, things like that. And basically, he also said, is there another quarterback or is there another is there something else where you where you know you could have a higher set of skills or, or build around a team a different way? So, you know, it, it kind of spells out where they are with with everything right now, right? It just basically is what do they do with Kirk Cousins? Do they let him play out this final year and then move on from him? Do they extend him, um, you know, beyond this season? And what does that look like? Because it, it sure sounds like a one year extension, which might be the most logical, isn't what. Kirk Cousins wants at this point, and, and, and rightfully so. He probably wants more stability, especially as he gets older. What do you do? Do you cut Do you cut it off right now and say, you know what, if it's not a long-term partnership, we are going to try to figure out a trade for you right now, and we'll just kind of cut our losses, figure it out, and start over. But I don't think that's exactly what Quasey wants to do either, because he values what Kirk Cousins brings. He says, you know, we don't want to discount essentially what what we have in Kirk Cousins. He meets a certain threshold, and not every team, not a lot of teams can say that. So I just thought it was an interesting way of discussing the Kirk Cousins dilemma in a different way, a very quasi way of doing it, full math, like he likes to, like he likes to say. Um, but just knowing his, his thought process, how he's processing that, knowing that he's thinking probably about a lot of the same things we are as we think about Kirk Cousins' future was interesting to me. Now, I would rather have a numbers guy crunching all of those ideas uh, than Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who will now be calling the plays for the Dallas Cowboys after the departure of Kellen Moore, who went to uh, the Chargers. Kellen Moore, um, reading from the ESPN.com story, from 2019 to 2022, Kellen Moore called plays and directed some of the best statistical offenses in Dallas Cowboys history while seeing Dak Prescott set a team record for touchdown passes in a season in 2021. However, right after they lost to the, the 49ers in the playoffs, McCarthy made a bunch of changes to the coaching staff. Dak Prescott did throw a through 15 interceptions last year, even though he missed five games, so not the best year for Dak. But no more Kellen Moore. Uh, Mike McCarthy, who called the plays a lot in Green Bay, is now going to be calling the plays in Dallas. And he says he basically has a difference of opinion in some of the approach. He said, Kellen wants to light the scoreboard up, but I want to run the damn ball so I can rest my defense. Oh, my gosh. What is it, 1990? He didn't say that. That was me. I think when you're a coordinator, this is him talking again, you're in charge of the offense. Being a head coach and being a play caller, you're a little more in tune with everything. I don't have the desire to be the number one offense in the league. Why? I don't want to be the number one team in the league. With a number of win- I want to be the number one team in the league with a number of wins and a championship, and we've got to give up some production and take care of the ball better to get that, then that's what we'll do because we have a really good defense. Now, some of that I agree with. you got to have balance. I, I do believe there is a balance in the run game and the pass game. 
and he is right that you do have to protect the ball. If you're throwing a lot of interceptions as a result of a lot of the yards you're gaining, I get that. You don't want to do that. That is a drive killer. Those are game killers. However, the idea that you have to run the ball to rest your defense has been proven false time and time and time again. So I'm I'm sorry that is not uh, that is not good uh, that is not a good way to go about things, Mr. Mike McCarthy. But anybody who is a who is not a fan of the Cowboys should be chuckling a little bit and uh, and and enjoying the prospect of what the season has up ahead. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It is good to be joined by Chris Hine today. Covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. Um, got a lot of things to talk about, Chris. You're out on the West Coast right now. A little bit of a tiny breather, right? Because the the two LA games and two off days in between at least gives you a chance to get your get your feet on the ground, get your bearings. Unlike a normal road trip where you kind of go in city to city. Um, and <laughs> this team, Chris, I mean, they, you know, just when, just when I'm ready to write them off and say, ah, they're not going to make the play in even, you know, season's over, they go and beat the Clippers and look like maybe they've, you know, had some things going in that game that, that they can maybe move forward with a, a little bit more going forward here. Yeah. Well, this is, this is who they are, right? If they, yes. they lose to Charlotte, they lose to Washington, they blow a lead against a very short-handed Golden State team. And then they come out and beat a full-strength Clippers team uh, last night. This is who the Minnesota Timberwolves are. And just enjoy the ride as much as you possibly can. Because uh, you, you, you'll you probably be throwing up by the end of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, they look good. Jaden McDaniels played I, you know, one of his best games of the season, I think. Uh, holding Kawhi to 7 for 19. Um, playing some really good defense late against Paul George, uh, scoring 20 points, a team high for the night. Like if you know, that was maybe Jaden's best regular season game as a, as a, as a Wolves player um, on both ends of the floor, it was, and then late in the game, they executed offense. You know, they had a really nice sequence uh, when the Clippers had cut it to four. Yes. Where uh, Kyle Anderson makes a great cut uh, across the court Ant finds him, and he find Anderson finds a rolling Gobert for an easy dunk, and a, basically ices the game with 30 seconds to play. Um, everything that hadn't gone right in the last couple of games for them went right last night. And you know, at the same time, you, you get frustrated with the Timberwolves, um, but then you look around the Western Conference, and you know, a night like last night has, you know, like for instance, the Mavericks lose to the Pacers, right? You know. And all these teams in the Western Conference, I bet you if you if you were to poll their fan bases, are the fan bases are probably at their wits end with a lot of them, right? There's there's nobody here that's completely happy with this group that's jumbled from like five to thirteen or right. fourteen. Um, so they're 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 right in that mix of the frustrating, maddening, and sometimes really good teams. Yeah, I mean, that's who they are. 
Yeah, and you know, in that night, you're right. There was a couple other good outcomes from. I think Utah lost to San Antonio. There was a couple other That's ones. Right, that yeah, went, the Jazz lost to the Spurs. Yep, yep, yep. There was a couple other ones that went their way. So you're right. Any given night, and maybe you know, you go a three or four game span, and things can get changed in a hurry. Um, one thing, Chris, that has not changed in a hurry, and I want to get back to the on the court stuff here quickly. But one thing that's not changed in a hurry is the status of Carl Anthony Towns. It's been more it's been about three months a little over three months 13 weeks since he injured that right calf and i think a lot of people have been frustrated myself included by you know the lack of transparency or any kind of timetable that that's been able to be put on this not even really knowing what the exact severity of it is um and you know the season getting down to now the last 18 games and we keep hearing you know, it's going to be soon, you know, whether you're hearing reports, you know, national media sourced reports, or you're hearing, you know, Chris Finch talking about final stages, you're hearing Austin Rivers on his podcast saying, yeah, you know, you know, a, a week away or whatever it was at this point now. Um, Chris, though, you, you've you been around the team a lot more. Why? Where do you think we are at with this in terms of just the, the progression of this over time? <laughs> I wish I could give you a definitive answer, which Please is do. my stance Go my ahead. stance for the last three months <laughs> or four months. Um, I think if people get frustrated with the lack of transparency around however the team has been handling this, I would point you back to when Carl went on Twitch and basically vented a lot of his frustrations, I want to say a month ago, maybe five, six weeks ago. Yeah, it's probably around there. And And Carl was very frustrated during that about people putting a time frame on his return and making him set up to basically fail or come short of expectations. So the team and the team has never publicly put a time frame on Carl's injury. Um, there have been sourced reporting and things like that, that have right. put a time frame on Carl's injury. The team has never come out or Finch has never come out and said, we expect Carl back in eight weeks. The only thing the team has said in, is Tim Connolly has said on the record with us and other places as well that they expect Carl back at some point this season. That's a, that's about as definitive right. as, as it's gotten. Just that they expect him back at some point this season. That is the clearest we've gotten. Um, so the team is does not want to put any kind of time frame on it because Carl will get upset. You know, if if people put a time frame on it. If a team puts a time frame on it, and then he's not ready to come back by that time frame, because then everybody's going to be like, well, Carl, why aren't you back yet? Are, are you right. soft? Or do you not want to play? What's your desire to win? You know, what's your desire to win? Your teammates are out there trying to fight every night to stay in the playoff race. And you're just sitting out. Like they don't want to set up that scenario, which is already kind of happening because yes. social media is what it is. But calf injuries are tricky injuries. You don't want it to, to go into something more. Um, and, but you know, at the same time, he's going to need some acclimation to get back to, to full strength. He's going to need some games. Um, you know, just look at Jordan McLaughlin, for instance, right. who, you know, I talked to him the other day and he, had, you know, he's been back for a little while since, since his own calf injury and he did, did not feel like a hundred percent. Now he looked pretty good last night. He yes. looked like the old Jordan McLaughlin last night, but for six, seven games there, he was struggling to return back to form. So they do need him back and he's going to need a ramp up. He cannot just, you you can't just drop him in the playoffs and, and hope he's going to be Carl. He's going to need to play the last stretch of the regular season. So, but I don't know when or if that's going to be, he's been around the team. He's on the road trip. 
you know, I saw his dad there at the game last night as well. Um, you know, he's there around the team. Um, but there's just, you know, no clarity yet on when he's actually going to be back. Well, you make a good point, too, because it's not so much just when he comes back now. It, it's right. Getting him back into, you know, game shape, playing shape, and also reacclimating him. You know, this team's been playing without him now for more than 40 games. They've developed a certain style and, and identity and, and way of playing without him. And, you know, some of it's similar if Naz Reed plays. I think their skill sets are somewhat the same big men who can shoot can get the you know get to the basket things like that but you know we we only had a limited sample size of towns with gobert in the start of the season and now they've missed all this time and now whenever you know when and if towns does come back it's going to be kind of this reacclimation like i it's it, it is getting kind of late to salvage any kind of meaningful kind of glimpses of, of of what this is and what this can become especially if you're trying to win right now yeah i don't know that how much more they know about, you know, this, this team going forward uh, at this point or how much they will know by the end of the season that they knew back when they made the trade. Right. You know, I, I don't know that you can make that. Yeah, honestly, you can make any big sweeping judgments about how this fit is going to work. Um, I don't think you have enough body of evidence because I'll just take you back to earlier in the season you know, I, I talked to some people around the league, scouts, things like that. And I just kind of asked them, like, you know, what would you say is a reasonable time frame to determine whether this Gobert-Carl pairing would be a good one? And, you know, a couple of them came back to say, you know, about half the season. Right. You, you want to give it about half the year. They have not played half a season's no, worth of games a, together. A quarter they, of a season. And they, and, yeah. they, and they might not. And they might no. not by the end of the, by the end of this season. Um, so I, I don't think that you, you will have enough of an ample body of evidence to say this is working or this isn't working. And I know that's probably frustrating for the fan base to hear because people want to say, oh, it's not working. They were so terrible without them. But, you know, I think the basketball people will think differently about it um, than knee-jerk fan reaction. And I don't think that they have enough body of evidence to really conclude whether this is working one way or another. Right. And that makes the offseason complicated because, you know, if you, you know, we don't need we don't need the Wolves giving us any more reason to to speculate. But, you know, thinking ahead to the offseason, Towns will be eligible to be traded at that point. And the Wolves have given no indication that that's on the table, but it's certainly going to be talked about, especially as we think about the start of the year, as we think about how this roster might be reshaped. But if they don't have an, an answer into what you know, what this looks like at that point, it's going to be hard to consider anything like that now a move they did make obviously a couple weeks ago was the 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 trade involving d'angelo russell um they got mike conley jr and also got to nikhil and alexander walker in that deal um the alexander walker piece felt like it was more of a an afterthought for a while he wasn't playing much um he's gotten into the rotation lately and has looked you know he's got some some things that he brings to the table um defensively and maybe as a you know, uh, another ball handler and can shoot a little bit. But the the big piece that I want to talk about first is Conley. And, you know, I thought Finch had an interesting quote the other day about, you know, they're still kind of, again, reimagining themselves at this point in the season, um, re, you know, adding Conley into this mix and trying to figure out what they do well, how to close games. Now, they did close that Clippers game a lot better than they had other games. But how do you see his fit right now and, and, and what they're trying to do with him, especially in the games that he's been with Gobert? 
I think uh, he's been about what we what we thought, which is he's not going to be a high usage guy. He's not going to take a ton of shots. Um, he's going to be a, a a decent defender. I thought he had a, a very good defensive game last night. Um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit underrated uh, in guarding Russ, especially down the stretch. Um, and yeah, he's he's there to facilitate. He's there to pass and then get out of the way in some instances. He's there to knock down an open shot if it's there. Um, but he's there to make Rudy better on the offensive end of the floor. He's there to help facilitate things for Ant, and that's what he's done so far. Um, his shooting maybe isn't where he wants it to be right now, and I think that's one thing that they're trying to work on him with is just to have him be maybe a little more aggressive, hunting his shot a little bit more instead of, of deferring, especially when teams kind of collapse on Gobert on their pick and rolls. Um, but I think so far it's been kind of what they thought late in games. You know, I, I don't think anybody has been playing the way they want. And I think that's a feeling out process for him as well. Trying to, trying to navigate this roster and this personnel and, you know, cause the first 43 minutes of the game are just different from the last five. Right. So trying to figure out how to play in crunch time has been an adjustment for him and for the team as a whole. So uh that's that's kind of where it's at i don't think it's been you know overwhelmingly good or overwhelmingly bad just kind of in the middle and it does feel like you know for whatever it's worth it's 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 increased the scoring burden and some of the playmaking burden on anthony edwards and some of that is just you know he it's his third year he's an all-star maybe he's ready for some of that but he's also looked you know like he's showing a little bit of his wear maybe it's just a little bit of a you know whatever you want to call it. He was, you know, he didn't get the break that everybody did at the all-star game. He's just come out of the break and he hasn't had his best games since then, especially these two on the road trip so far. Um, What do you make of where Ant is right now? Is this just a little blip or do you feel like he's feeling a little bit of the weight of playing every game this season, carrying a lot of the load without towns and now no Russell, a guy that he had developed some chemistry with? I asked him that the other day in Golden State. I said, are you, are you tired at all? Are you, you know, physically, you know, hurt or in any way? And, you know, playing through anything? He said, nope, no, feel fine, feel feel good, feel energized. Uh, so it's nothing physically. Um, he was he was kind of crying in the locker room but last night that he was in a little bit of pain, but in a kind of like in a very ant sort of way. Like, okay. You know, if you can picture that, like, oh, yeah. oh my, knee, my <laughs> knees, man, my knee, you know, like, you know. Need need this off day, you know things like that. Um, so he, he look. He, they, they put a lot on his plate, and uh, like you said, even more now that Conley is 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 here and is a lower usage player than D'Angelo Russell. So it, it's an adjustment for him getting used to some of these looks late in games. You saw the Clippers last night just trying to get the ball out of his hands. Um, that, that led to that nice sequence with the Gobert right. dunk. And I, I think it's a learning curve for him. Uh, Finch talked about that the other day. Ant talked about that the other day, that figuring out what to do in these late game situations when you are the guy is is a different level than where he was at last year, than where he was at earlier this season. Uh, he said after that Charlotte game um, that, you know, one thing one thing that might help late in late game situations is having Carl back on the floor. Yeah, he's like, got to get big. Fe- more, did he say got to get big fella back? Gotta something get, like gotta that. Got to get big fella back. Yeah, and so it's one more 
one more person on the floor that defenses really have to account for. Um, so I, I think that'll be really interesting to see once Carl does come back is kind of how these late game situations play themselves out. Who is going to be on the bench? Yeah. You know, in, in these moments, is it going to be Rudy? Is it going to be Mike Conley? I don't think you can afford to take, you can't take Jaden off the floor. No, you can't take Kyle Anderson off the floor because no. he's, he does a little bit of everything for you. So I, I think, you know, when Carl comes back, you know, who sits? And yeah. I think that's a very intriguing question that they're going to have to answer in the last, again, maybe 10-ish games that Carl is back. Yeah, and some of it could come down to matchups and who's playing well that night. But you're right, if everybody's playing yeah. playing well and it's more of a question of what, what strategically is the move, that will be interesting to see. A um, couple more things for you, Chris. One, I, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, um, Alexander Walker has, you know, had, has had some moments. He's kind of flashing some of that you know, guy getting out of a bad situation and playing for a contract kind of energy and in a good way, I think that the defense has been there and I think he's done some nice things. What what do you what do you make of his, you know, opportunity and what he's done with it so far in the last few games? I, I like his game. When I when I when I watch him play, I, I always thought that when there were the the Wolves played against Utah the last couple of times, I remember watching him and being just noticing him and things that he was doing, especially defensively. So I think he brings a, he brings a defensive intensity. That's where he's focused most right now. Um, he wants to make an impact on that end of the floor. Offensively, I, I really noticed him last night. He's he's trying to play in the style that Finch wants. He's pushing the pace, yeah. whether after after makes or misses. He's directing guys on offense. Like he's not shy about telling guys like you need to be over here. You need to be over there. And that's, I think, you know, something that's interesting to see after just a couple of games here. He does have familiarity with under, you know, a Finch system because his rookie year was spent in New Orleans when Finch was an assistant there. Um, so <laughs> there is some familiarity with, with Finch. Um, but I, th- I think it's just been interesting. He's, he's been trying to assert himself. Uh, and I, I like what he brings on the defensive end of the floor. And I think if he can keep that up, he'll he'll stay in the rotation. That last thing here, Chris. I know we've we've I think we've made a, a fair amount about the Wolves' schedule down the stretch. A lot of road games, and they're in the midst of this you know trip that you're on right now. Lakers on Friday, Kings in a back to back Saturday. Then they're back home. Sixers, Nets, and then you know, Hawks, Celtics. You know some good teams in there to be sure. But you know aside from the Celtics, like yeah, you know, maybe the Suns are, are are kind of rounding into that shape too. But Aside from the Celtics, maybe not a team that's dominant that they're going to play in these final 18. Is, is the is the strength of schedule maybe a little bit overblown? Because it seems to me like they're playing a lot of equivalent teams or you know teams that they're going to be competitive with, at least down the stretch here. I'm with you. I, I think the schedule is more difficult because it's so road-heavy than yes. it is the caliber of teams are playing. I'm, I'm with you on the on the fact that you know they they play teams that are right around them in the standings. Um, you know, they do have, they have, so they have two matchups against the Kings on the road that those are going to be difficult. Right. Um, they've got the Sixers and Celtics at home. Yep. Um, but after that, you've got, you got a couple teams that you play twice too, which is kind of interesting over the last 18 games. Like I said, they have two matchups with the Kings, but they've got the Hawks twice. The Nets they've got twice. The, the Nets twice. So interesting that they have two Eastern Conference yeah. teams twice in the in the span of these 18 games they close with the spurs and pelicans um uh, and then you have another trip to golden state 
in there as well. Phoenix, like you said. So uh, the Bulls, which is a winnable game. Raptors, yeah. a winnable game on the road. So there's a lot of road games, but there's a lot of winnable road games. Right. Um, you know, that when they get the Philly and, and the Celtics, those are at home. So winnable road games. It's, it's just going to take a, a efforts like last night. You know, they come in again against a team that's at full strength that has a lot of talent on the roster. It hasn't put it all together, but there's still a lot of talent on that Clippers roster. And they they get a win. They can do that against the Bulls on the road. They can do that against the Hawks on the road or the Raptors or, uh, you know, the, the, the Nets. And, you know, they could do it against the, should be able to do it against the Spurs. But that was, a, that was a difficult for them earlier in the season. So you look at some of those road matchups and they can win them. They just got to be on their, be on their stuff and, and not come up with performances like that home game against Charlotte, which was, one of the worst games they had all season, I think. And I guess given that, I'm going to give you a little dilemma here at the end, and maybe I'll answer it too. And I'm going to divide it into four segments instead of three because I think the otherwise it might be too obvious. But given what we've seen, knowing where this West is so bunched up, you know, four or five through 13 essentially is just still separated by just a few games usually. What's the most likely outcome here to you? Is it A, finishing top six and being in the playoffs? Is it B, finishing seventh or eighth, which I think it's a distinction in the play in where you get two cracks at it at least. And, you know, you you get, you get a home game out of it at the very least too, if you lost that, that first one, or is it in that nine ten range where you, you're kind of in the play in, but you're kind of, you know, scrapping and just hoping to, you know, you got to win two road games essentially if you're the 10, or is it missing it all together and uh, severing, se- selling, se- setting everybody into a pit of despair and thoughts that they're going to lose their number one overall pick to Utah? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I, I hate to handicap things, but if I had to say, except for Grammy races, you love to I, handicap well, those. Have, I love I love to handicap Grammys and Emmys races. Yes. Um, I've 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 told people just kind of off the cuff. I think eight is where they end up i look at i look at utah who's behind them in ninth uh new orleans in 10th portland 11 lakers 12 oklahoma city 13 i don't see those teams jumping the wolves the rest of the way i i just can't see it i you know maybe i'm naive (laughs) you know i but i also don't see the wolves jumping Golden State, the Clippers, and the Mavericks. I think those teams do finish ahead of the Wolves. And I, I think where they're at right now is where they're going to finish. They're going to finish ahead of Utah, New Orleans, Portland, Lakers, Thunder. They're going to finish behind Dallas, Clippers, and Warriors. And I think this is I think this is where you see them at the end of the season. I, I really do. Um, I, think- I don't think that I don't I don't think they make it to the sixth seed, and I don't think they fall out of the play in. I definitely I, I don't I think, think those are going to happen. I think they might take eighth at this point, even though that's sh- pretty short of preseason expectations. If you if you get in the top eight and give yourself two chances at the play-in, I, th- I still think you feel okay about your chances of actually getting into the playoffs at that point. I think it's still a disappointment relative to start of the year where, where myself and a lot of people were like 50 wins, um, Rudy Gobert, look at the talent on this roster and look where they gave up. Yeah, but this is all, this is going to come together at a certain point, but I think they'd probably take eighth at this point, don't you? 
I think so. Like you said, you get you get two cracks at the play in, and one of those would be the second of which would be a home game. If you lost um, the first one, right? If you yeah. lost the first one, so uh, yeah, I th- I think if you know if if you were to give them that that bargain right now, they might take it, but they might not. You know, they might they might look at it and say, well, we're only one game behind the five seed, so why would we take eight now? Yeah. We're only one game out of being fifth, so. Maybe they wouldn't take it. Maybe they yeah. would say, "Let's roll the dice and and let's see." And if you know we fall out, then we fall out. But yeah, there's still there's still one game out of the five seed, which is crazy to think about. And if they had just won some of these very winnable games of late, they could be the five seed. Yes, yes. Well, and they do believe <laughs> they have the tiebreaker now against the Clippers and the Mavericks. So if that ever comes Correct. into play, yeah. that the that does help them if they do finish tied with those teams. Still, so much to sort out. Over these last 18 games should be fascinating if and when Cat comes back, what he looks like, how the rest of this roster performs, and whether they can finally ever, Chris Hine, establish any sort of consistency this season. But I think you're right. This is probably just who they are, and we've got to live with it. Um, well, whatever happens, Chris will have you covered writing about it for the Star Tribune. I'm sure he'll be back on this show in a week or two to talk more about it. Chris, uh, enjoy the rest of your trip, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Chris Hine. Again, they play the Lakers on Friday night. Big one there because if the Wolves win that game, they will clinch the season series against the Lakers. Wolves have already beaten the Lakers once this year, and uh, they only played three times. So they've had one other chance to to do that at Target Center in a few weeks, but they can get it done right now, put a little distance between themselves and the Lakers. And this one, no LeBron in this game. So an opportunity to uh, to make up some you know to make up some ground in the West and to put some distance between themselves and the Lakers. Let's finish with the cooler. A couple things quick. Like I said, Gopher women's basketball team loses to Penn State first round of the Big Ten tournament, the 12 versus 13 game. Basically, the play-in, essentially. I mean, everybody gets in, but that's kind of the the first-day game. Can't even get past that. That is not good. Not a good look for Lindsey Whalen's team. I know they, they finished the regular season better with a couple of wins. Still 4-14 four and 14 in the Big Ten this season, and um, not a good look in year five. Chip Scoggins in our paper today suggesting that uh, Lindsey Whalen should get one more year next year, and if it doesn't happen for her next year, that that needs to be a coaching change. And I, I I can't disagree with that. It's not been great here. She's been given a lot of uh, a lot of top a lot of time already, a lot of opportunity. Had a good recruiting class come in this year, but if it can't get done this coming year into in the 2023-24 season, I don't see much hope for the future. And I think they would have to go in a new direction. In a postscript to yesterday's wild trade discussion, Marcus Johansson will indeed be in the lineup Thursday when the Wild play. Sounds like he's going to play on a line with Joel Erickson Eck and Matt Boldy. That could be a pretty good line. See if they can spark a little bit more offense, spark a little bit more joy on that second line, take a little bit of the pressure off of Kirill Kaprizov and that first line. We will see. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Good one coming up tomorrow. Derek Falvey, Chief Baseball Officer for the Twins, will join me on Friday's show to talk all things Twins. Carlos Correa, the offseason, pitching acquisitions, things like that. We'll get into all of it on Friday's show, so I hope you will listen. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll be back at it again tomorrow.